Let's pray as we approach the Lord's Word. Merciful God, O bounding in love. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would open your word now as we come to look at it, Father. Help us to take home lessons, Lord, and really find what you want to say to us here today, Lord. Amen. So, last week in Matthew, we heard Christoph preach about a very about familiarity, about a very familiar character, Jesus Christ. And this week, we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000, a very familiar story, and one that I can vividly remember being taught at Sunday school down in Care County, Tipperary. And the image of the boy with the loaves and fish, and Jesus taking the little offering and multiplying it to feed thousands is very clear indeed. I suspect that this story is very well known to most in church today, but I believe from the story found in all four Gospels, we can find some recipes for feeding thousands, how Jesus can take what we give to him and use it to great effect. So as we go through the passage, if you could have Matthew 14 open, that would would be of help. At the start of our story, Jesus and the disciples have retired to a quiet place to mourn the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. However, as we read throughout the Gospels, Jesus is followed by large crowds from surrounding towns. And this case is no different. But even at this very personal time for Jesus, he had compassion for the people. His father's work needed doing. So, as we read in verse 14, he started teaching and preaching to the crowd of over 5,000 men, plus women and children. In verse 15, we read, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food. I can see the scene. The disciples would have had one eye on Jesus and one eye on the crowd. That to noticing the reaction, seeing how the message of Jesus was being received. I reckon the people from the crowds were coming up to the disciples and probably complaining. They would have been saying, it's getting kind of late. Our stomachs are grumbling. It appears that the disciples had a fairly earthly solution in mind to the problem. They wanted to disperse the crowds to the surrounding villages of the area. And there they could have their tea and they could get fed. But they didn't start showing the crowds to the exits straight away. They brought the, to the Lord to seek his guidance. Read in Matthew's account, we see, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And we see in John's account um, of the same passage, in chapter 6, verse 6, he asked them this only to test them because he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus had in mind what he was going to do. He knew he was going to work a miracle, but he wanted the disciples to be part of that, to be part of that miracle. The disciples weren't there to watch. The followers of Jesus needed to be involved in the work of Jesus. And they did, they did the right thing by bringing the problem and the issue to Jesus. And in his grace, Jesus was going to use them to be part of the solution. As Christians these days, I think we also need to be listening to the people around us. From my time in Kirkpatrick, I've been greatly encouraged by the work I see through uh, the Church Community and Change Project. Um, I think we can also do it on a more personal level, through friendships, through the people we meet, 
if there's one thing about people, it's that they, well, they have problems, sometimes practical, maybe physical. Um, and if they don't know the Lord, um, and if they don't want to admit it, definitely spiritual. I think we need to be active through listening. Bring it to the Lord, and then in grace, being part of the solution with the little that we have to offer. All our efforts should be covered in prayer, however, and I'm reminded of that wonderful old hymn um, from, my, from my own childhood. Actually, I vividly remember singing this one. We can have, what a friend we have in Jesus, written back in 1855, I think. Um, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. As we continue through the story, we come to the most iconic picture of the miracle, the five loaves and the two fish. And it's in John's account that we read about the young boy coming up to the disciples and offering him. I always thought it was in like a packed lunchbox, but probably they didn't have lunchboxes back in them days. <laughs> probably wrapped in something. Um, and it, it's, it's one of the most iconic pictures of, of this story. Now, I used to work at Citigroup. It's a large American, it's a large American bank, um, or at least it used, used to be quite large, probably still is. <laughs> it had offices down in the Titanic quarter, and uh, part of my job meant that I had to learn about the financial markets and how bankers made money off them. Now, they didn't teach us all the trade secrets, but we did learn a little bit about le- leverage, leverage, which is where financial institutes would take borrowed funds or debt, um, and they call it borrowed funds, but it's debt, um, to increase the return to equity. Um, um, using leverage, one could take a small amount and make a large profit. Uh, if I think I've got my facts right. Freddie Mac, who you've probably heard about and seen in the news, it's a large, um, oh, it used to be a large American investment bank. It was leveraged something like 70 times its net worth um, which didn't really end so well for them at the, um, in the end of it all. Um, looking at Matthew 14, 18 to 20, we see, bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down in the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. In this passage, we see Jesus take a small asset, uh, the five loaves and two fish, and he performs a huge return on it, um, feeding well over 5,000 people with food left over. The disciples brought all they could find to the Lord, and there was a mighty divine return on that investment. It's an image of a God who is all-sufficient, with more than enough love and blessings for us all. This is the God who gives and gives and keeps on giving. As the people of God today, I think we need to do all we can to bring what we have to the lo- what we have to the Lord, our lives, our time, our our wealth if we have, our ideas, even our church, and let Him perform a miracle with that that can bless the world around us. There's a powerful story told about a. Jeremiah Landfire, um, on the, you may have heard of him, on the 23rd of, the December, of September, 1857, both my examples seem to be from the 1850s, <laughs> he, began, he began a noontime prayer meeting in Fulton Street on the financial district of Manhattan. 
Um, out of a city of one million people, I think about six people turned up half an hour late. But the group decided to meet the next week. And not at that session, there was 14 people. And the week after, there were 23. And the week after that, there was 40. Within weeks, there were thousands of business leaders in New York City meeting daily and praying to God for blessing and for him to move. God did move, and he moved powerfully across the nation of America. It's estimated that nearly one million people out of a a national population of 35 million at the time uh, were converted converted to Christianity. And in New York City, where it all started, there was 10,000 people weekly coming to Christ. Uh, I think as a church, God can take our humble offerings and use them to bless the community around us. What a wonderful God he is. He really is. And I'm reminded of that old hymn, The Font of Every Blessing. He really is. Matthew has also for us, looking at it, he's also set the account of the, of the feeding of the crowd against another feast. Um, the one right before it, Herod's birthday feast. Um, and there's quite a difference between the two feasts. Herod's feast would have had an exclusive guest list. It would have been the rich and the powerful. It would have had, I imagine, very fancy wine and food and all sorts of those little mm, forks and knives and whatnot. They had forks and knives back in them days. It would have been, also at that feast, there would have been fear. I think a real sense of fear, fear of the king probably. And quite rightly placed because of the unjust death that happened at the end of that feast. Contrast that with Jesus' feast, which is for the people of no great standing. It's a feast for everyone. It's a feast where the fear of the king is absent and rather replaced by a joy, a joy in blessings of great abundance. I see God at work here, turning our perceptions of the way things should be upside down. Jesus is countercultural. He works with everyone, not exclusives. Um, He's able to take that little offering and multiply it. He rules, and he rules by power through a servant heart. Um, Not not that heart of Herod where where there was fear and anger. This goes against our popular culture um, today. Um, And I've been listening to the radio a little bit, and I'm reminded, uh, I hear it all the time, you may know her, Lily Allen. Do I see nodding heads? (laughs) Christoph's nodding. Thanks, Christoph. (laughs) Lily Allen, She's, she, her, her recent hit is called The Fear. Um, it's number one. It's the album's number one. Um, and here's some lines from that song. Um, life's about... I'm not going to quote all the lines in it. Uh, wouldn't be suitable for church. <laughs> life's about film stars and less about mothers. It's about fast cars and passing each other. And I'm a weapon of massive consumption. It's not my fault. It's how I'm programmed to function. And then in the chorus we read, don't know what's right and what's real anymore. Don't know how I'm meant to feel anymore. When do you think it will all become clear? Because I'm being taken over by the fear. In the song, Lily is summing up our culture of celebrity, of one-upmanship, of rampant consumerism. And I think she's sick of it. She's questioning it and she's wondering when, it's it, when is it going to all end. And there's a hunger in the world today um, and I don't think and Herod's feast will not satisfy that hunger, that hunger that is found. 
Today we need to be giving out the invitations to the feast for everyone to know Jesus as Savior and to find real satisfaction in His grace. Christians need to be countercultural, and the world around us has to see it. Uh, we heard about fair trade earlier in the service, um, and listen to what Peter Collins, I got a quote from Peter Collins, who's the head of Tradecraft's church relations, had to say about it. Without churches, there wouldn't be a fair trade movement, nor one as large as we see now. The fact that fair trade is so conspicuous in the mainstream retailing is due, is due largely to the years of loyal support and patient and persistent campaigning by the church groups and individual Christians who saw the obvious connection between the gospel call to seek justice for the poor and the practical response that fair trade has to offer. Their championing of fair trade make, made and continues to make a huge difference to the lives of millions of people who are able to build a better life for themselves and their families and their communities as a result. Fair trade is a great example of a countercultural movement supported by the church. We have to be the ones saying, let's give farmers a fair price for, the pro- for their products. The ones who treat God's planet as a gift to us. The ones who have community. The ones who, where the people in place are a little bit different, who have a flavor of Christ about them. If we, if we aren't and we don't do these things, then who will and how will the world hear? In closing, I've really enjoyed looking, I guess, back over this very familiar passage to me personally. Uh, part of this recipe for feeding thousands is found with the disciples. You know, the, the followers of Christ were active. They, see, they listened and they heard the needs of those around them. And then they brought it and their problems and their needs to the Lord in prayer. Um, and what, this is what we need to do to offer him the little we have. The main ingredient, of course, in the recipe is Jesus. He was the one who took the five loaves and the two fish and performed a miracle to feed thousands. He was the one who multiplied the offerings to meet the people's physical need. And also, as we read in John's account, the next day, while he was teaching in Capernaum, Jesus was able to use that previous day, which would have been fresh in the people's minds, um, when he said, John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus can meet our spiritual needs by reconciling us with the Father in heaven. Our world hungers for something fulfilling, and it will find it in the countercultural message of the gospel. What a privilege to offer God our lives to be part of the wonderful abundance of God's grace where he can take our offerings and multiply it in the extension of the kingdom. That would be my, my prayer to you guys today. I think, I think we should pray about this now uh, and really bring it to the Lord in prayer that he would take our offerings and multiply them. So let's pray now. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful lessons we can find in it, lessons for us today in our culture. Lord, help us to notice the need around us. Lord, to always bring it to you in prayer. Lord, and I pray that you would humbly, Lord, that you would take our offerings and, Lord, use them mightily in the extension of your kingdom. Use us, Lord. Use us to reach out to our communities, to our friends, to the people around us. 
Father, this is our prayer. Amen.